Today's today's reading is from Titus chapter 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters and in everything to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Eva. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the chance to open it up this morning. And we pray pray that as we reflect on it, Lord, that you would be changing our hearts and making us more and more like your son. In his name we pray. Amen. Henry Ford once said, you can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. You can't build a reputation on what you're going to do. It's a recognition that there's often a gap in our lives between the life we live, on the one hand, and the life we want to live. Uh, I wonder if you've noticed the gaps that exist in your own lives, uh, whether it's related to your health or or finances or your relationships or career, uh, or it's the things that you're passionate about. We often have an idea of how we want things to be, but many of us realise over time that the expectation is far from the reality. And for many people, they spend countless time and energy and resources to try and minimise these gaps, to make the life we live more like the life we want. And I think in uh, in some ways, uh, Christians do a similar thing, because we recognise that we're called to live our lives for God, Uh, We're supposed to become more and more like Christ. But we also recognise there's this gap. There's a gap between how the Bible calls us to live and how we actually live. Uh, It's a gap that God closes as we grow in our faith uh, and as we put to death the sin in our lives and as God changes our hearts. But it's a gap that still exists in each of our lives. It will always be present this side of heaven. Uh, And it's this gap between God's desire for his people and their actions that has caught Paul's attention. He's left Titus on the island of Crete, uh, and he writes this letter to try and address this problem, 
to essentially minimise the gap. Uh, We saw in Titus 1 last week that the church in Crete was in disarray. It was chaotic, and Titus is supposed to come along and, and straighten things out. There were people who were causing the church all sorts of problems, teaching things that they, they shouldn't have been teaching and, and leading people away from God, causing disruptions to entire households, as we saw. And so Titus had an important task on his hands. And the first instruction he was given was to appoint leaders within the church. That They needed to be men of godly character in family life and in their personal life. And they needed to be those who held to the truths of the gospel, holding firmly to the message through thick and thin. Uh, we saw that holding firmly to the gospel would allow these leaders to encourage the people of God and to refute anyone who was opposing this message. That was the first step for Titus, appoint godly leaders. Uh, And the next instruction for Titus is here in chapter 2. And it's all about minimising this gap. Uh, And the way Titus is to play his part in it is by teaching people with sound doctrine. Sound doctrine was that phrase that came up last week as well. And it's basically a summary of the Bible's teaching that is faithful to the Bible and useful for life. Uh, And we're going to look at the passage in two parts. Firstly, what Titus is to teach, and secondly, why he is to teach it. So firstly, the what. Uh, And there are six groups in particular that Paul wants Titus to address. Uh, The first two are the older men and women. And I don't think it's a surprise that Titus is to start with them. Christians with life experience. Uh, I'm not sure how old Titus means when he says older, uh, I'm going to assume it's, it's people maybe 40 or over uh, because it's all comparative and, and that keeps me in the younger category. Uh, older people are often the ones who can have a, a wonderful influence over their, over their families, over the younger generation. Uh, when, when Lilia and I first heard of the, the possibility of coming to St. Stephen's, one of the, the biggest draw cards for us was the fact that it's a multi-generational church. Uh, because we, we've been at churches where there's been a focus on, on young people or on older people, uh, and I'm sure you'll have seen similar things. And, and those kind of services uh, can have some, some real benefits. But I really think you, you miss something when you don't have that intergenerational crossover uh, within a church. Because older men and, and older women have that life experience to draw on. Older men in particular are to lead the way. They are to have dignity and maturity that reflects their years. They are to be temperate, meaning level-headed, to show self-restraint, doing things in in moderation. The temptation for a a lot of men when they get older is to avoid growing up, uh, to try and keep living as they had done when they were younger, uh, sometimes in in a selfish way, ignoring their responsibilities to others, to try and live in ways that make them feel young. But Titus is is to encourage these men to live in a way that is worthy of respect. Now, now this is a group that needs to be encouraged with sound doctrine. Uh, Society often bags older men. Often they're the ones uh, ignored, they're they're distrusted, uh, they're treated with suspicion. But it's not to be that way in the church. Titus is to make a priority of teaching these men so that they might be sound in the faith leading the way in in many areas, in prayerfulness, in in love, in endurance. Uh, I remember visiting a church uh, in in rural New South Wales 
uh, where there was there was one man aside from the minister in the congregation. I think there was about maybe 20 or 30 people. Uh, now I don't know the the details of of why, but but I can't help but feel that a failure to teach men with sound doc- doctrine over over a period of time uh, played a part. It leads to them failing to endure. A failure to minister to older men and to encourage older men can can lead to many older men being absent in our churches. So Titus is to make a priority of teaching these older men. Sound doctrine will will lead to sound living. Uh, Next he's to teach older women. Uh, And notice he is to teach them with a view that they will in turn teach others. Older women are to be reverent, not to be slanderers or or drunk. Uh, Like with the older men, the older women also set the tone. Where they lead, younger women will no doubt follow. Uh, To live live a reverent life is to live a a holy life, to allow God's influence, uh, God's presence to influence the way you live. And many here uh, in this church will have benefited from older Christian uh, women, mothers, grandmothers or or other godly women in our churches, be it through their faithful prayers on our behalf or or their godly approach to life or their reassuring encouragement. Older women, too, have have such a crucial role to play. Now, now the two behaviours that he singles out, uh, why them? Uh, I think the reason is these are two things that are a problem in Crete. Older women who have slipped into this kind of behaviour, speaking negatively about others, either to their faces or behind their backs. The kind of behaviour that that all Christians should be making an effort to avoid. And then there's excessive drinking, which is literally translated being enslaved to wine, being ruled by it. Now instead of being slanderous and and drinking in excess, the women of Crete are to teach what is good. All older women are, are teachers in that sense. When a younger woman is struggling to, to balance work and, and other areas of life or, or when they've just had a fight with a family member, when, when mental health struggles come up or, or they're going through physical suffering or, or a difficult series, season in their marriage, uh, when there's anxiety around singleness or when they've made a terrible mistake, it's often older women who can help them through, who have been through similar experiences themselves who know the importance of of being in the word and and being in prayer at those times. Older women are to teach younger women. And as they teach them, I'm sure some of these struggles will be put into perspective and worked through. Now in this case, the the specific teaching that Titus mentions is around how to love their husbands and their children. Uh, And I think part of the reason is that people tended to marry a lot younger back then, meaning less life experience, and the need to learn from older women who are further along in the journey. We all know that that when life happens, it can be very hard to to love others, uh, as we ought to, whether you're married or not. And older women were to disciple younger women in this way. They also teach them how to grow these characteristics of of self-control and purity or holiness. Uh, Paul mentions being busy at home. Uh, which I take it he mentions because the Cretan women have been busying themselves with with the wrong things. He mentioned in in chapter 1 how entire households had been disrupted as a result of some of the teaching that was happening. And so perhaps he sees busyness at home as an antidote for for some of the problems. Uh, Of course, he's writing at a time where where wives 
being at home was also a lot more common. Uh, and I don't think the focus is so much on, on where they are as it is on, on what they're doing. It's, it's training them to live in a godly, manner, uh, a godly manner, be it at home or in the workplace or, or wherever they may be. And the final thing older women are to teach younger women is to be subject to their husbands, uh, not controversial at all. But it's, it's teaching that reflects uh, the biblical view of marriage. It reflects the roles that God has created for men and women within a marriage. Men are to lead sacrificially uh, for the good of their wives, and, and women are to subject themselves to that leadership. Uh, and we came across a similar thing earlier this year when we went through the book of Colossians. Uh, and as I said then, it's not husbands demanding this subjection of their wives. Which, which can be a, a danger with a, a verse like this. It's wives being called to be subject to, to their husbands. Now, now the reason for these things, it's, it's there in verse 5, so that no one will malign the word of God or, or dishonor the word of God. When you see husbands and wives working together in this way, it's, it's a beautiful testimony. When they don't, it, it can very quickly disrupt the work of the gospel and undermine God's word, uh, which seems to be what's happened here in Crete. Now, having been given the responsibility to teach young women, Titus is also told to teach young men. Uh, and I'm sure you noticed how, how short his instruction for young men is there in verse 6. Encourage the young men to be self-controlled. Uh, you might think that young men are the ones who need the most instruction, uh, and I'd, I'd definitely agree with you if that was your thought. Uh, so, so it does seem surprising that he says so little to them. Why, why do they get off so lightly? He's already said, be self-controlled to the older men and the younger women. But for younger men, uh, is there a greater challenge than the pursuit of being self-controlled? Is there a greater challenge? With their speech, with their temper, with their time, uh, showing self-control with their appetites, with their physical desires, with their ambitions. Uh, it sounds like a, a simple instruction, but I think it's, it's far from straightforward. And, and Titus is presumably still fairly young himself, so he is to set an example, to show them that he's not just teaching something that's impossible to attain. Uh, it's not like asking someone or telling someone to lick their elbow. Uh, don't try it. it but what, what Titus tells them is, is achievable. The next person Paul addresses is Titus himself. Titus is to influence them by teaching them, by showing integrity, by holding to the truth in a trustworthy manner, by being serious. Uh, with the younger generation, there's a, there's a temptation to want to be in, uh, adored by them to, or to, to joke around with them, to, to be one of them. But Titus is to be serious as he instructs them. It doesn't mean he, he needs to be a kind of fun sponge, but this is their eternity that's at stake. Uh, there's a seriousness that's required and appropriate. Uh, the famous pastor Richard Baxter said, Whatever you do, let the people see that you are, uh, you are good in earnest. You cannot break a man's heart by jesting with him. Uh, I think there's probably a, a lack of seriousness in the young men in Crete, and, and joking around isn't going to address the problem. It's, it's seriousness and, and soundness of speech that will help these young men see things as they really are. And lastly, he too needs to be sound in his own speech uh, because it's amazing how quickly patterns of speech are adopted by those around us. 
Spend enough time with someone, uh, and for better or worse, you, you start speaking like them, using the same words and, and phrases. So Titus is to set them a, a good example, to show them a different way. And his example has a twofold purpose. Not only does it teach the younger men, but it also condemns those who oppose him. Uh, they'll have nothing bad to say about his conduct. Now, after addressing Titus's own conduct, Paul turns his attention to slaves. Slavery was also very common back then, and I don't think Paul's remarks are an endorsement of slavery. Uh, it was simply a part of life. Interestingly enough, uh, Paul calls himself a slave of God when he introduced himself last week in chapter 1. It's, it's the same word. So he doesn't necessarily see it negatively uh, as we see slavery today. His goal is to see some order within the church. Now it appears that there are both slaves and masters within the church at the same time. Uh, the message to Titus is to address the attitudes of the slaves. Teach them to be subject to their masters. Jesus, when he, when he first comes on the scene in Luke chapter 2, it says he is subject to his mother and father. Uh, Paul and Peter call on their wives to be subject to their husbands, uh, and both of them call on Christians to subject themselves to the governing authorities. So, so subjecting yourself under someone is, is common in Scripture, and it's seen as godly behavior. So slaves are to try and please their masters in their work, not to be rude to them or to steal from them. They are to be trustworthy, and their lives are to reflect the gospel at work in them. Their actions are to make the gospel look attractive to, to the outsiders. So do you see Paul's problem through this letter? Paul sees this, this big gap uh, between how the Cretans are called to live and how they're actually living. He's, in, he's instructing Titus to help close this gap. So that's the, that's the what, what he calls Titus to do. Uh, in these final verses, we see the why, the reason. Uh, we see it involves the past, the present and the future. See, the past impacts the present uh, and also helps us to know how to prepare for the future. Uh, and that, that is the Christian life in a nutshell. There's nothing in the past that should impact the present more than the appearance of God's grace through Jesus. Uh, verse 11. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It has appeared. It, it's already happened as Jesus came and, and died for us. Now, this verse, of course, isn't saying that everyone experiences salvation, but it is saying that it is available for anyone who trusts in Jesus. And that includes these Cretans, these liars, evil uh, brutes and lazy gluttons, as we heard last week. This salvation is on the table for them as well. In, in chapter 1, Titus was to, to pull them up and, and correct them so that they would be sound in the faith. They're not beyond this grace that has appeared, and neither are we. Uh, I think many of us will, will go through stages in life where we doubt whether God's grace is sufficient for us because we see the gap between how we're called to live and, and how we're living. Uh, we start to feel the weight of it. We can feel far from God as a result. We might even say, how can God's grace cover my sin? The gap doesn't seem to be getting any smaller. And at times we'll feel it even more as God reveals the depths of our sin to us. But as we look back and we think of Jesus on the cross, we realize we're not beyond his grace. The grace of God has appeared. When a man gives up his perfect life so that we might live, it can't leave us unchanged. 
Uh, in verse 12, we see the change that it should bring in the present. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. The grace of God impacts us now. It teaches us. And as we're taught the gospel of Jesus, we begin to grow in godliness. Uh, you see people from time to time who think new life in Christ is, is a free pass to continue living on in sin. There's always going to be a gap in our lives, so why bother about doing anything? Uh, why bother doing anything about it? But if you're someone who, is, who has experienced the grace of God, you, you know that it's life-changing. God won't leave you as you are. And as we await the return of Jesus, as he puts it, the, the glorious appearing of our great God, he is purifying us and, and preparing us for that day. Uh, many of you will know the story of Corey Ten Boone. Uh, she was a Christian who, who survived the Holocaust, and one of the biggest gaps in her life came when she was forced to forgive as she had been forgiven. She had travelled to Germany to declare the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And one evening after speaking, uh, she was approached by a man who identified himself as a former Nazi guard from the concentration camp at Ravensbrück, uh, where she had been held and where her sister, Betsy, had died. Now, when she saw the man's face, she recognized him as one of the, the cruelest guards there. He reached out his hand and he said, A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. He told her he was a guard at Ravensbrook, and he, he asked, Fraulein, will you forgive me? Now, Cory Timboon writes, I, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. But forgiveness is, is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. As she reached out her hand to the former guard, Corey says uh, something incredible took place. She continues, The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, she cr I, I cried with, with all my heart. I had never known love so intensely as I did then. But even then... I realized it was not my love. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's, it's quite an amazing story of a woman who was seeking to close the gap between how God called her to live and how she was currently living. Now let me ask you, what are the gaps in your life? How, how is God closing those gaps? Is there ungodliness or are there worldly passions that you need to say no to? How is God growing your self-control? Are you someone making the most of opportunities to, to teach the younger generation or to learn from the older generation uh, that we've been blessed with as a church? What does God's grace still need to teach you? 
Uh, I'm going to leave a couple of moments for us to to reflect on on some of those questions, uh, and then I'll pray. So time of silence.